Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. So one of our previous episodes, we've talked about stormwater and um, where stormwater comes from and all of the things that, um, that might influence the quality of stormwater. And Carmen, you um, you met with, with Chris Dent, who previously worked with the city of Lexington, LFUCG, for those locals who know that acronym. Um, and he talked a little bit, or the two of you talked a little bit about low impact development. So tell us a little bit about how that went. That was great. We were actually at the Ronald McDonald House. So if you know where the football stadium is, common, uh, Kroger Field oh, at yeah. Kroger Field, uh, on University of Kentucky's campus, the Ronald McDonald House is actually uh, towards the back side of that, away from University Drive. And if you want to go take a look at what are some different green infrastructure uh, practices out there, it has a whole host of them that can give you a bit of an idea of what uh, is options for, for folks out there. We also spent some time talking about low impact development. And so just to clarify, and Chris will go in and talk about this, because we hear the term low impact development and we hear the term green infrastructure and they're not exactly the same, but a lot of times people want to use them interchangeably. Low impact development, according to the EPA, refers to systems and processes that mimic natural processes that result in infiltration, evapotransportation, or use of stormwater in order to protect water quality and associated aquatic habitats. Within that, pretty much the simple terms that I like to use for it is you're trying to make it like nature. Right. For green infrastructure, green infrastructure are some of those practices that they use in, in that low impact development to try to treat or process stormwater in order to get it to where it's cleaning it and making it a little more like a natural process. Stormwater is pretty much when it rains and it hits the ground and starts moving around, that's our stormwater. So storm, rain, and then you get it to where it goes through the ground. When people develop parcels or sites to where all of a sudden you no longer have the natural environment there and you're putting down roads and buildings and sidewalks, that stormwater has to have some place to go. One of the old ways of thinking about it is how quickly can we get it away from those sites and get it out and push it downstream to the next person. As we're starting to look at things, that is causing more problems. So now we start to look at things and try to create it a little more like the natural processes to keep more of that water on site in order to be able to treat it and deal with it more at the source. Okay, so yeah. so we've seen Carmen through throughout lots of different examples. Um, kind of an old way of thinking about stormwater was really let's just move this water off of this location to another location, you know, downstream, downstream make it somebody else's problem. as fast as possible. And, and, you know, Chris talks about how that's not the same mindset anymore. And I've heard you say that before too. So are engineers kind of changing their tune a little bit? I think it's a little bit of everybody. Um, part of it is because all those detention basins, retention basins, all those things that happened, 
We've over time seen what we call urban stream syndrome. So the streams where this water goes have become really incised or deep. The banks erode. You see tree roots hanging out in the air and you know plants don't grow that way. Um, so we have a lot of issues that we've seen occur. And part of the reason they put the old way of thinking retention and detention basins in was so you could slow the water down and wouldn't have those problems. But we've seen that's not really worked well over time. So now we're kind of going towards this philosophy of low impact development where you try to keep the water that you produce on your site as much as possible. You either infiltrate it or soak it into the ground or evapotranspirate it. Use plants as little water pumps to suck it up and send it back into the atmosphere. So that's been a big change in philosophy over time and it's come with its own challenges, largely related to maintenance. So Chris talks a little bit about infiltration and evapotranspiration, or sometimes we just call that ET. Correct. Not like the... Not like ET phone home. Yeah, not like the movie creature from the 80s, but yes, evapotranspiration. So let's hear what Chris has to say about those two processes. So evapotranspiration is pretty much like a pot of boiling water. When the water, all of a sudden, if you left that pot of boiling water for long enough, the water is going to evaporate into the air. So that's sort of the basic principle of that. And nature does that through leaves and through grasses and through hardscapes where water then evaporates off of those once the sun comes out. Uh, infiltration is, is the water just going into the soil and naturally moving around under the soil the way that nature had intended it to. Uh, in Kentucky, we actually have a very unique features called karst or caves that play into that as well. But most of the time when we're looking at it, we're just looking at the soils and seeing how the water can actually infiltrate into those. Different soils have different parameters and factors that take into consideration. So a clay, sort of if you made a clay bowl, it's hard for water to move through that, where a topsoil allows water to actually soak in a little bit easier. So Chris mentions that clay soils often make infiltration difficult, and that's true uh, because, um, and again, I'll, I'll show my, my, my soil nerdiness here, but you know, we think about soil, all soils are made up of three different particle sizes, sand, silt, and clay. And so sand being the largest, silt being the, in the middle, and clay being really small particles. And clays just not only are really small, but they're also kind of sticky. So they have charges on them, electrical charges, and so they will tend to stick and adhere to one another. And especially if we drive equipment over them or we have a, a well-beaten path where there's foot traffic on it. So we have to remember that compaction can also decrease infiltration. So it's not just, you know, clay versus a, a topsoil. I think Chris says topsoil. And I think what he meant is more of a, a loam or like a, a, a soil that has silt and sand and clay together that has you know, the ability to infiltrate more soil. Um, but also some of the things that happen in that topsoil layer that really can be um, undervalued are the value of those plant roots and things that are alive that are, are living there. And so these roots create, um, they can they can also facilitate, I guess, some biological activity. So I think of worms and you know worms digging around in there. They they have like little infiltration trenches in there, right? They do. They create uh, like the big tree roots that you're talking about. Um, native plants, worms, the little bugs create what we call those macropores, 
And so think of them as big little pipelines further into the ground. So not only do they loosen the soil and help relieve some of that compaction, but they actually open up bigger pathways for that water to go through. Yeah, sometimes people maybe don't think of healthy soil as green infrastructure or low impact development, but if we can just infiltrate water right there and, you know, and not have, uh, and keep topsoil on. Sometimes we see in development that topsoil gets scraped off and removed and then we build on the subsoil, but then the topsoil never comes back. Um, so that's sometimes why we have these issues with low infiltration. So at the Ronald McDonald House, there are a variety of examples of green infrastructure. So let's listen as, as Chris gives us a little more information about those. Currently right now we are at Ronald McDonald House over near the University of Kentucky's campus. Uh, there's a lot of green infrastructure that were, was incorporated into this site. Uh, currently we're standing on some permeable pavers. Uh, there's some permeable asphalt and some permeable concrete here as well. There are also some rain gardens and then some rainwater harvesting techniques uh, or rain barrels that are also on this site. Other things that you might look into are green roofs. Uh, there are a couple of those around town. You've got green walls. And then just trying to keep areas natural is another way that's sort of a green infrastructure practice in order to keep it to where it's not turning into a hardscape or a impervious area. The pavers we're standing on are actually do look a lot like any other paver you'd see anywhere else. They are almost very similar to a standard brick. The unique piece is, is that in between these bricks, instead of putting in concrete or grout, there is a stone or sand that is put in between them that allows the water to infiltrate in between each one of these bricks and go into a storage layer that's underneath of the ground to promote infiltration and then as well to manage the stormwater runoff uh, and the timing that's associated with that. Well, the first thing you're going to notice as you walk up to it is it's going to look like it's a little bit rougher. If you actually walk up to it, you can get down, look at it, and you can actually start to see that it almost looks like a sponge, but a hard sponge. So water then goes in between those little holes that are in the concrete and the asphalt and do the same thing as the permeable paver areas, and it actually allows the water to infiltrate in underneath the hard surface in order to be able to infiltrate and soak in. Carmen, Chris talks about permeable pavers and porous asphalt, pervious concrete, so really um, essentially hardened structure, er, hardened infrastructure that can infiltrate water. Um, can you give me some explanation about which of those and like if you're a homeowner, would you use those or how would you use those? Right, so when you look at the, the asphalt and the concrete, the kind that's used in green infrastructure more permeable the big difference is it doesn't have um, say as much fines in it like maybe sand or something like that so it allows the water to go through that's something that you see at the legacy trail so if you're in Coldstream park and you're on the legacy trail you'll notice a section of it is all of a sudden uh, kind of bumpy and looking rough it just is not it, it lacks a lot of that um, smaller material that and so that way it's got voids and places for water to go through. And Chris t describes it, I think, as like a hardened sponge. It is. It's very much like that. A little Swiss it, cheesy, somewhat I Somewhat like that, I would say it doesn't hold water. It doesn't absorb like a sponge would do. It just more lets it go directly through, through it. 
And so when you design these or you build these permeable pavement type systems, you do it uh, one for how much water you can get, kind of get through it, but usually you also build what we consider like a storage layer underneath. So usually you have some sort of stone or gravelly type system so that the water can actually go through and get into that storage layer because underneath it, when you were talking about the clay soils, that's what you hit to next. And so you want to allow that system to hold water enough so it can slowly infiltrate through those lower clay layers. So you're almost building like a sandwich? You're building a sandwich. It's a great description. You're really building a sandwich. So you design permeable pavement, um, one for the storage, but the other is for what's going to be on it. So if you think about what kind of vehicles may drive on it, um, if you go look at a lot of the new schools that have been designed in Fayette County, a lot of them have pavers. So they're usually pavers that allow water to go through around the cracks of the pavers. So instead of having some sort of mortar joint, they have usually some sort of um, small stone system that the water can go through. They are designed for low speed traffic. So you're not zipping a car real fast through a parking lot at the school but they also can handle the weight of the buses that go by it. So when you start designing these systems, you think about what kind of traffic is going to drive on it. How often is it going to drive on it? Um, and then you also think about the water storage. Part of the reason we don't see permeable pavers or systems like that on the interstate is really fast speeds, heavy weights, and you know, you'd be slinging gravel everywhere. You, you know, it's, it's, it, that's a big part of it. You know, you is what's going to happen. You see them a lot, um, sometimes in parking lots because low speed, low vehicle traffic. You may see them some, some places, um, not necessarily in Fayette County. Um, may use them in street parking, like there might be a side of the street parking that people park on a lot, and so you're not going very fast. And so when you think about them, you think about those aspects, but you also think about maintenance. Because it's not just water that's going to go through, it's any kind of fine material. So if there's sediment, if there's leaves that break down, those are other things that people might want to think about as they're doing this because they'll want to make sure those areas stay fairly clean. So let's hear what he has to say about where we should place them. A lot of the green infrastructure practices are not put it there and forget about it. A lot of them require maintenance throughout the life of the, the process and the implementation of it. The permeable pavers and permeable asphalts, some of the things that you want to consider is where you're placing them and it depends on if it's going to be underneath trees, you're going to have to be able to get the leaves off of those areas so they don't decompose and clog up your permeable surfaces. Uh, your bioinfiltration or your rain gardens, you'll want to consider on those some of the maintenance of the plants, the water that's being stored in those. Some of the rainwater harvesting you're going, on, going to want to consider what you're going to use the water for later on and how often you're going to be able to empty that. What are you going to be able to consider during the winter time when all of a sudden in Kentucky it, things start to freeze. So there are considerations in putting these in. It's not necessarily right for every site and each there is no silver bullet for anything. But working in conjunction in a treatment train process or using one process and then another, a permeable paver that then drains to a rain garden, for example, or rainwater harvesting or rain barrel draining to a permeable pavement, you get the benefits of all of them and be able to mix and match and customize those practices to best fit whatever site's there. The overall long-term maintenance on these, according to some of the things that I've been able to read on it, 
usually show that the low impact development and some of the green infrastructure processes are comparable to standard grade of infrastructure or what we typically think of as pipes and that's about it in the long term overall life cycle cost of things. So it's something that people will want to consider their return on investment and then as well the life cycle costs on these as they start to consider the green infrastructure and low impact development practices. So I was walking yesterday afternoon in my neighborhood and someone has been um, fixing up an older home and it looks like they have redone the driveway and it has gravel in it but there's also like a looks like a plastic grid in there. So is that considered a, a pervious surface as well? It is. So anything that lets water through, you can you can consider pervious. So that's just the whole part of pervious. So think of it as pervious is possible for water to go through. If it's impervious, that just means it's impossible for water to go through. So that's how I kind of that's remember those remember, systems. Yeah. So if a homeowner is interested in incorporating some low impact development concepts into their own home or maybe they're building a home or even um, looking for a home. What are some resources that they might be able to find or where could they learn more about low impact development? We do have several resources uh, through the University of Kentucky um, College of Agriculture, Food and Environment. Uh, through our Cooperative Extension Service, we have a number on what is low impact development, uh, some things related to like permeable pavement and whatnot. The City of Lexington also has a low impact uh, development type of manual that a homeowner could look at. It was more designed for industrial or commercial type of applications, so they may need to um, scale that down, but it gets you an idea of what it is that you, you might be interested in doing. This, there's also a rain garden manual that's available through the city, and the environmental, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency actually has quite a few documents that are out there. So if, you're, if you think one of these practices might be for me, you might start out just understanding what it is before you get too far into the technical aspect of it, but we do have those more technical resources available. And maybe we can challenge our listeners to keep their eyes open in their neighborhoods or if they're visiting a new city or a new place to look for examples of low impact development or places where they might um, see what, where water could infiltrate. Maybe that's a good rainy day activity is to walk around and see where they might identify water that can infiltrate places. It is. And if you want to stroll on the University of Kentucky campus, we actually have quite a few um, green infrastructure uh, projects that have been put in place from stream restoration to green roofs to permeable pavement. Uh, so those are around campus if you need a excuse to kind of walk before a football game or uh, before a basketball game, you can take a look around campus and see what we have. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of KYH2O, and hopefully we've given you a, a few things to think about, maybe a little stormwater homework to do the next time you're out on a rainy day, and we'll look forward to um, meeting up again. You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH2O.